Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER, for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states. Or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. How's it going, everybody? All right. Uh, everybody here has been to State Theater? Today. Today? Yep, just today. I saw um, the Cowboy Junkies here many years ago. And I feel that my... You saw Weird Al here? <laughs> really? <laughs> I feel that my... It wound up being like... I, that was the first time I was at State Theater, and it turned out that I, me and my wife think that she was there too, but she would have been way too young for me to be gawking at, at the time, but I feel that she was Not there. Not to say you weren't. Not to say I wasn't, but she, I shouldn't have been. Uh, we think so, and then later I came, you and me uh, came here to see Bob Dylan. I was right up there. And that night... I don't know if you remember, I have a picture. Uh, we're sitting there, and I was arguing that jello shots don't actually make you drunk because I had this theory that <laughs> something happened to the alcohol. <laughs> Do you remember this? <laughs> and I this spent the whole chemistry. show taking a little time out in the footwell, below the seats up there somewhere, up top. And you know, like at a concert, everybody gets out of their seats and comes down? to, you know, dance around. Yeah. 
when I when I get done with my nap, <laughs> I come down looking for everyone and catch my buddy Eric doing like a little bit like that. You know when you kind of like dance behind someone a little bit? But it was like, yeah, and I come down, I'm like, really? Because he's kind of a little drunk. No, but like a, he's like a little bit doing like the I'm right behind you dancing too. <laughs> behind you. My girlfriend. Look creepy. Ah. <laughs> at State Theater. Jello yeah, not shots. to me. Jello shots. Not to me. Um, got a couple of, you know, let's do introductions that I got a couple people we got to say hi to. Uh, we have the Latvian Eagle way down on the end. Good evening. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Mark Kenyon from Wired the Hunt. A huge round of applause for our very good friend from growing up, Matt Droz. He's a low profile. He's <laughs> a low. Ron Bame, who was kind enough, kind enough to give me employment uh, for several years and then friendship for many more after. And then my big brother, Matt Ranella. Where, uh, where out here is Ada? There's an 11-year-old, Ada. Okay, listen. Your dad <laughs> listen. needs you to understand that listening to the Meat Eater podcast is better and more important for your mind and spirit than listening to Bruno Mars. <laughs> uh uh, uh, hello to Officer Darren McIntosh, you out there? Thank you. Um, now, also, my mother's here tonight. So, Rosemary Ranella. We're going we're gonna to play a game later. We're going to pl play a game called uh, Seeing Through the Bullshit. And so, someone has to come up and be the contestant. And we took a blank map of the theater with all the seats on it and gave it to my mother, Rosemary, to select a seat who will be the person that gets to come play the game and win something. And my mother made a big deal out of selecting someone from the balcony because she likes to root for the underdogs. <laughs> so, a, lucky, a, lucky, a lucky player up there will be called down to do that. And then uh, one more thing. We'll get to you guys later, too, but birthdays. We've got birthdays here tonight. I mean, a lot. Really, tonight? That means tonight? Is it your birthday? Oh, then you won't win. <laughs> like, birthdays today. Oh, okay. The oldest, if you're old, you're in luck. We'll get to that later. If it's your birthday and you're old, you're in luck. Um, cover that. Now, a couple, uh, got to hit a couple news items like we like to do. The, they just had, you guys heard of this, the, there was like a, uh, organized squirrel hunt in New Jersey mm -hmm. that got badly protested by the League of, uh, the League of Humane, let me get this right. It's the League of Humane Voters organized a protest against the squirrel hunt. The organizer was saying, it's very disconcerting, the idea of it being a family-friendly event. Look at the strong correlation of kids who commit violence against animals as children and then grow up to be violent against people. A writer, a, a listener wrote in, and he was saying, 
It's weird as part of the plan of this squirrel hunt was to teach people how to acquire and prepare wild game. If the organizer's assertion is true, would it not stand to reason that children who are raised eating meat from a grocery store are more likely to hire hitmen to commit violent acts against people <laughs> on their behalf? Yeah. Uh, also got an interesting note from a dude, a good Midwestern boy, who bought a new bow. And the guys at the bow shop were saying, man, if you want to get dialed for hunting, you need to shoot the bow like how you would shoot hunting. And he's planning on hunting in a tree stand, but his yard has no tree stands, so he takes the hunting from the phone pole to practicing from the phone pole out on the street. And by the time the police come and the, the municipality guy comes and makes him take a stand down, but they did give him a line on where to go buy his own phone pole that he can... Buried into his yard. Uh, we were talking about <laughs> Norway recently, where a guy rode in with an ethical dilemma from Norway, and another guy rode in with a Norway expression. What, what was the hunting one? The German one? Yeah. Wiedmann. Wiedmannschau. Wiedmannschau. And it means? Uh, like good luck hunting, like a like best of luck hunting. Yeah, he yeah. got to talking about that. And in Norway, they say, skitjacked. <laughs> Which means, I hope you have shit hunting. <laughs> and it's like the same as saying, it's the same as saying, like, break a leg. Like, you give, you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't want to jinx his outing, so you hit him like that. Can you say it again? I want to make sure I remember that. It's, well, S-K-I-T-T, which I'm going to go with skit. Skit. J-A-K-T, which I'm going to go with. That's something to do with hunting, J-A-K. That's a yaz. Skitjacked. She's yacked. I hope you have a shitty hunt trip. I think um, you guys should all use the Latvian version of that instead. Because we have pretty much the same thing, two different versions of it. We say either shawi gadam, which means basically shoot past them or over them. So you're saying like, good luck, hope you miss. Kind of a thing. <laughs> the other thing we say is um, like to spalvo netizata, which means I hope that you don't see hide nor hair. Really, these are both Latvian ones. Yep. Can you welcome everybody tonight in Latvian? Lavakar damasum kungi. There it is. Uh, another, another, one last news item, and 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 I know uh, Matt Dross, you sent this to me. Yeah. Recently, like you grow up these parts, taken for granted that you can just go down and walk down the beach. We did, often. Just take a walk down the damn beach, because this is America. Um, and the Supreme Court just confirmed that, yes, in fact, this is America. Yeah. By, At least by the Great the Lakes. Down. Great Lakes. <laughs> What's yeah. that? The Great Lakes. Yeah. The Great Lakes are America. Yeah. yeah. So in Indiana and Michigan, the Supreme Court actually refused to hear the hearing contesting the ability to walk the high water mark. Yeah, dude, a couple... I, you know, I'm just throwing out the, the uh, two people, Donald and, and Bobby Gunderson. What they suffer from is they suffer from a, a problem that happens in American society with some people where it's, it, I th like to think of it as too bad it isn't true that-isms. Like, you buy a house on the beach, and the next day here's some dirt bag walking down the beach. Surf casting. Yeah, and you're like, too bad it isn't. Illegal that that guy wasn't down there on my beach. Yeah. And then they just have the energy and time to, to try to go. follow their dream. Yeah, like, <laughs> my dream, my dream 
would be that the people who are enjoying that area, uh, just down there, you know, taking in the sun, my dream is they couldn't enjoy that area. And I'm going to spend a lot of money preventing them from enjoying it. But so the Supreme Court not hearing it, they like challenged it, got shot down, challenged it, got shot down. Yep. And they took it to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court refused to hear it and said that the law stands as is. Yep. The high water mark is public, public domain. So summer is still on, everyone. <laughs> Some, summer is still scheduled. This is kind of newsy, but we'll hit, so we'll hit it right now while, it's, while we're talking about news. A little bit of news. Mark, you're going to do a recap. Mark Canyon, Wired to Hunt. This is the, the Wired to Hunt Michigan deer season recap. Jeez. Yeah. What happened, Mark? Well, well, I think the big thing we were talking about discussing was a little bit, not Frank, um, demographics a little bit, what kind of success rate hunters saw, what kind of participation we saw. And I will preface this by saying that the data available is split between two years because there's not harvest data available yet for the 2018 season, but there is license sales data available from this season. Okay. So first off, an interesting thing of note is that this year, 2018, there were about just over 600,000 deer hunters in the state of Michigan. That is a lot of deer hunters, one of the highest numbers of deer hunters in the country, but it's down nearly 100,000 in just the last five years. Really? Very significant drop, 15% drop off, and that is down 200,000 deer hunters from a high point of 785,000 in 1998. So we're seeing that pretty precipitous drop. Well, That's the downer. Good news front. Um, I don't know, maybe not a good news front. Depends on how you look at it. But we had the second highest number of bucks killed per state in the entire country. So the only state that killed more bucks. Can I guess? Yes. Tejas? Tejas it is. Yeah. Yes. When you're talking about food and you're like, oh, you know, they eat it in... Japan, anything to do with deer, you're like, let me guess. Yeah. It's Texas. Or any funky things, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Michigan killed second only to Texas. Second only to Texas, yeah. And that is the third highest. No, let me take that back. They're the first or second highest bucks per square mile in the entire nation. Three times the national average. So we're, like killing, a lot of, we're killing a lot of deer. Killing How many people in here got a deer this year? Man, crowd of stone cold killers so, out there. Uh, I think jerky. <laughs> I can say with a lot of confidence that we have above average deer hunters in this room because because uh, exactly fifty percent of the deer hunters in this state kill the deer this past year, two thousand seventeen. Fifty percent success. Fifty percent success rate. Wow. If you bump that up to how many people killed more than one deer, what's your guess? What percentage of licensed hunters killed more than one deer? Yes. And 50% killed a deer? Yes. I'm going to go, what do you think? 20%. 20? Well, 35, 35, 35, 35, 30, 30, 30. 25. 15. Oh, really? Big drop off from one to two wow. or more. Uh, I killed two deer this year. In Michigan. So. 12 killed two. <laughs> You're like an elite. Top 15%. You're an elite cold-blooded killer. Out of six people, yeah. But that, yeah. yeah any, any, other, any other good Michigan insights people all know about? Yeah, yeah. Bow you, got all, you, you did a good job. You got all this memorized? Yeah. 
Nice. No paper. I'm impressed. <laughs> Nothing man. written on my hands. You see your palms. <laughs> okay. Hand check. Um, bow hunting in Michigan, very, very popular. I think a lot of deer hunters like to talk about how there's so much bow hunting pressure in this state. I sometimes use that as an excuse for why it's tough in this state. Um, well, it's backed up by fact. We had 311,000 bow hunters in Michigan. Really? Is it because of crossbows? Uh, I do not know the answer to that. I don't know what the breakdown is between crossbow and bow, but a lot of, a lot of passionate bow hunters in this state. And we have the third highest number of bucks killed per square mile in the country with archer equipment, I think, if I remember that correctly. Is the number of bow hunters, is that number going up or down? I haven't seen a trend on that. I would guess it probably parallels the overall. What are they attributing? I know it's a host of things, and I kind of already know that it's unanswerable, but what are your insights? What are they, attribute, what are they attributing to the, um, the number decline? Have you seen the number of, like, the total number of people like that compared to hours spent a field? Is it like, are we losing the, like, are we losing a lot of like the lame weekend, one weekend a year dudes? Are we losing like the hardcores? Like who are we losing? So I haven't seen data as far as that. I can make some assumptions. Because I don't mean to say lame but you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. You know, my, my that, dad. That's a horrible word choice. That's one of those things you say in life. The one of we those, yeah. Weekend, like a, a, a warrior. <laughs> of the weekend. <laughs> a guy who likes... <laughs> what, what's happening basically is that, and this is kind of the thing you're seeing across the entire nation, is that there was this very large group of baby boomers that came in and for a number of different reasons took on hunting. Very popular within that demographic. And that group has just been aging. So if you look aging at the curve of hunting participation by age, you know, 20 years ago you saw like 30 or 40-year-olds or whatever that bracket was, that was our highest chunk of hunters. And then as you look for 10 years, that bracket just moves further down. And now we see our highest participation of hunters are in that like 54 to 70 range, 54 yeah. to high 60s. And so what's happening is that your number of hunters every year, retained hunters, is dropping off. Because I can't remember the, the age, it's 70 or 72 or somewhere around there. Um, there's a very hard line where participation usually starts to dramatically drop off. People aging out. Dying so we've got, a, we've got a very large segment of the hunting community that's aging out, and that's not being filled back in at the top of the funnel with younger hunters. Another yeah. interesting Michigan thing is that I saw data from 2013 through 15 that showed the number of new hunters coming in. And if uh, some might remember that back in like 11, 12, 13, somewhere around there, we were encouraged because there were some new numbers that showed across the nation hunting participation was up a little bit. Um, so that was kind of a reason to celebrate. Well, this data showed in Michigan that the number of new hunters is still actually going down. So we're, our, our R3 you know, attempts, recruitment, retention, et cetera, um, maybe we're at least from 2013 to 15, was moving the wrong direction, which was not, not from great. the deer's perspective. No. True. The deer are like, we're seeing some positive trends. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the, the hunting's going to get, Michigan hunting's going to get better and better. It depends on how you're looking at it. I guess depends if you, how you're looking if, at it, yeah. If you want less if competition. If you want to see less pumpkins in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> which, I mean, like, selfishly, would okay. I like it if there's fewer people? It'd be nice for my own personal hunting, but for the long run, it's not, yeah. it's not what you want. As long as it's like, a, it might feel immediately beneficial, but there's a, there's a long-term play yeah. that, that some people feel that long-term play becomes compromised. Exactly. 
Okay, uh, if you had to hit Michigan in one word, and it can't be a hand gesture, (laughs) Michigan in a single word, what would the word be? Do I go first? Anyone? Just me. I can go first if you're not ready. Give let you guys give you some time. Yeah, okay. I, I call second. All right. <laughs> Someone else might take <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I want to make sure I don't listen. I'm gonna now I'm picking this word now because I've been gone now for twenty years, but I'm gonna go with green. Green? Greedy? Green. That's what oh, I was green. Say. Green. You stole my green. answer. Why? You know green, what? green in what sense? That's what? true, man. What sense? That's a good point. Just like the color? Like the color, yeah, because being in the West, uh, man, you don't realize yeah. you're growing up here how green yeah. and how jungle-like this foliage is. When I come back now in the summer, I'm you know, just going, driving down these boulevards, that, you know, giant overhanging oaks, you know, the big giant leaves, and it's just so green. And, you know, I, I feel it in my soul. When I was spending a lot of time out in Matt's neck of the woods out in eastern Montana, I would come here and be struck by the foliage. But then... And it was cool, but then, like, I lost that buzz kind of living in the Pacific Northwest. But I think it'll come back now. Yeah. Like, to look from an airplane and just see that, Canopy. like, line of leaves, man. It's reassuring. But, God, it's bleak in the winter. <laughs> Not today. You liked it today? Oh, it was beautiful today. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were saying we were green like a bunch of new hunters. I didn't really appreciate that. I thought he meant <laughs> I thought he just uh, pictures the land carpeted in cash. Um, <laughs> and a bunch of marijuana growing in the woods. <laughs> that, what, do you, what do you got, Mark? That did just become legalized. Um, tradition. Tradition? Yeah, I think I look at Michigan and I see a, a state filled with a lot of passion for the tradition of hunting. And then also, so I'd say it's like the macro level tradition, but then also personally... You know, when I think of Michigan hunting, it's the tradition of my family deer camp and spending time with family in those those moments. Yeah. yeah. Everyone, everyone up here, except Ronnie, was born in the great state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Well, he, uh, was, like was, say no, no, that's not true. I was born in Hinsdale. You no, were? Yeah. How old were you when you moved to Michigan? Two months. Oh, two months old. <laughs> Where were you I was born? About that, that. Yeah, that's right, man. I couldn't really that. So, so never mind. Tra- Where was Matt born? Where? Tinsdale, Illinois. It's a suburb, okay. suburb of uh, I was Chicago. born in Indianapolis, Indiana. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I thought 50%. I was stacking the deck. <laughs> I thought I was like a bunch of Michigan mugs, man, but everybody's up here is a faker. So. Transplants. <laughs> How do they say yeah, for- formative years? Huh? How do you say it? Formative? Yeah, formative. Yeah. yeah, formative. We've all spent formative years here. Yes. I got more Michigan laid up right here than you boys. <laughs> um, Matt, what do you got? One word. Man, like, so I thought about this when you asked this question earlier, and, like, I kind of don't want to say what I was thinking, but I, like, I want to say adorable. Adorable? But, like, <laughs> but, like, I have to describe what I mean when I say that. Like, cause it's, cause you gotta be like a special dude to use the word adorable. Right, exactly. So I'm gonna yeah. say adorable, and I was like, hunters be like, what's he talking about adorable? They wanna kick his ass. Like, no, like, yeah. I mean, like, it's like, it's like, it's oh, kind so of you adorable? Yeah, it's like, it kind of plays off that tradition. It's like, this, like, it's like, you know, it's complex. It's got all these things, it's got all the seasons, like the big city, the small city, the, like, the urban, the, like, it's got all of that. So it's kind of this, like, Norman Rockwell adorable sort of, like, sense to it, but yet, like, it's also kind of a qualifier for, like, Bigger state stuff. Yep. Like, it's a qualifier, like, for moving to Montana. 
It's a qualifier for Alaska. It's got, you know, you can fish salmon here. You know, you can't fish that in many states, so in the, like, you know, coastal states. There's big game here. Like, so it's got a little bit of everything. So that was kind of adorable. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> it makes me want to snuggle my state, man. <laughs> <laughs> makes me want to panic because I can't come up with a word. I, the only thing I could think of is from moving from Illinois to here is uh, Yanni actually stole mine. I was going to go green. You were going to roll with green? Yeah, I was thinking green because that's what I thought of when I came here. You know, Illinois is a prairie state. We got trees, but they're in a city. And uh, so I, my, I guess the only thing I could think of that struck me from coming here as a kid is just water. Like all the different kinds. You got waterfalls, great lakes, little lakes, swampy lakes, duck ponds, everything, just water. Frozen water. Frozen, lots of hard water. Hard, yeah. yeah. Hard water. Yeah. That's all I can come up with. My, mine was the, uh, is the uh, adjective form of water. Watery. Watery. <laughs> <laughs> nice going, Illinois, brother. I don't feel yeah, so bad about really, adorable now. Right? Adorable, <laughs> adorable is way better than the watery. The reason I even asked that question is the uh, uh, I was talking to the writer Ian Fraser one time, and he like really he's from Ohio, but really liked to talk about me being from Michigan. And he said one day when we were talking about Michigan, and he said, "You know, when I think of Michigan, I always think of people that I met on the bus." Who would say fuckers? <laughs> <laughs> Adorable. <laughs> I remember being like, "That's true, man." That's true. I thought, yeah, that's I thought that, that was universal. <laughs> I thought that was being on a bus. <laughs> it was an elementary school bus. I was like, was "That's true. That is how we say that on the bus." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just said it, so that sticks in my head. I can't get it out of my head. Um, okay, now another Michigan thing real quick. <laughs> um, you could pick, and I got to warn you about this. You can pick your favorite Uncle Ted or Uncle Bob song. But you'll get one of each? You can do one of each, but I think it'd be too long because that'd be like 12 tunes. Okay. I think you should go one. It could be either Uncle Bobby or Uncle Teddy. I tried to talk Matt into bringing his guitar to play a little bit of every favorite song. And the, the Seeger ones, you'd be all over. Some of them. But he was intimidated. He was intimidated by certain other tunes that you were like, are too complex. Yeah. So he did not bring the guitar. I can't, I can't shred can like, you, can you, I can't shred like the nudes. Can you do like a, a, like if someone says a song, you'd be able to like. Hum it? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. Sure he can. Uh, yeah, so because these are like things I think like foundational Michigan music, and right. I know there's newer versions, but I'm just dating myself here. But this was old music when I was a kid. Yeah, Uncle Bobby, you know, speak for yourself. Marty, you raising your hand. Uh, yeah, I call I call a Nugent song because I don't I don't think I could name a Seeger song. Dude, come on, uh, <laughs> Mark. This guy, Ooh. Mark, Ooh. Mark Canyon is the only. Man, I've ever met in my life who identifies. Can I do it to you? Which, please, well, I don't do know. <laughs> what are you about to do? You like. It's almost like the name that shall not be spoken. I don't know what you're talking about. Musicians? Yeah. Never in Mexico. We had a long conversation. Yeah, he's great. Mark, like, actually, if you ask Mark, like, Mark likes, uh, I, 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 it's like, they're like the Fonzie trying to say wrong. Okay. What, let's first yeah. preface. He'd be like, oh, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Mark's Dude, a this Billy isn't... Joel fan. He's not like my favorite, but Billy Joel's pretty good. 
He also didn't see Jeremiah Johnson. Ah, uh, yeah. Did you I'm, finally? I'm less shocked that he can't name a Nugent song. No, he uh, can't name an Uncle Bobby song. I, I, I got Nugent. Oh, I think he said. Moves? Oh, night moves. No, no. Roll my, me away. My favorite Nugent Strut? song. <laughs> my favorite Nugent song is the clichéest song you could possibly think of for this event, but it was on a CD that I listened to every morning when heading to go hunting. It's on my deer hunting soundtrack. First track, got me pumped up every morning heading out. It's the iconic Fred Bear. Yeah. Ow! That, that counts. That counts. Yanni, you going to roll with Uncle... I think I can only name one of each. Like, I'm just not good at this game. I've never so. been good at this game. But, yeah, it would be Night Moves. Night Moves. Yeah. And I like it more now since you explained... I used to just sing along. never really thought about words of songs. Points sitting away high. sing along and dance a little bit and enjoy myself, feel good. But when you explain what that song means, it, like, it changed it. You know? Like what actually is happening in that yeah. song. You needed yeah. an interpreter. Yeah, that one, yeah. I would like that. Yeah. Can you explain maybe just one, one verse? I think everybody well, would love to hear it. Yeah, it's about senescence. It's like growing old and fading out. Woke last night to the sound of thunder. It like... It strikes a man deep when you start listening to it. Real heavy. Yeah. How far off I sat and wondered. You can read it like a Bob Service poem. Almost. From 1962. Now you got one you want to rip out? Um, like, I feel like I should go with Roll Me Away because, like, motorcycles. But, but I have to go with um, the live version of Travel Man and the Beautiful Loser. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, when it kicks in the Beautiful Loser in the middle of that, that's pretty good, man. And then I, I do have a Ted. I do have a Ted song, Great White Buffalo. Really? Yeah. Really? That is, yes. that is, that's a good one. Yes. The B-side to Fred Bear. Yeah, the B-side. Yeah. yeah. You got Ron. You're not like a big music but, but guy. That was I, like, oh, yeah, the live version was the. I'm, yeah. I'm not. I never have. But I have continually bought Bob Seger CDs of the greatest hits of Bob Seger for the last 20 years. And when they burn up, I throw them out. So my daughter... <laughs> he burned has, up a CD? You can't if you listen to it enough. <laughs> he, he plays it that fast. Well, I'm on the road a lot. <laughs> and I have instructions to my daughter, Jessie, at my funeral, it will be accompaniment. You will accompany me. That's a good one. Oh. That's, and I will cry if I start doing the lyrics to that. Let's do it. And do I, it. Let's do it. <laughs> Someday, I lady, I you will accompany you. me. <laughs> I, it, makes me, it makes me weep. I'll stick with the Seeger theme, but mine would probably be, would probably be Refugee. Which, that's, that's Uncle Tom. Which is not. He's not from here. Not Uncle but, Tom's cabin. But you got, you got to admit, that's a pretty good song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, heard it, I heard it yesterday. <laughs> I went to um, but really, I'd say uh, I can't pick just one. I have to go with two. Um, and... And uh, one is as sweet as the other is savage. I'd say on the sweet end, it's Main Street. And then on the savage end, it's her strut. Strut, strut. Both those songs... Uh, Do they get you to dance? Um, are about... You know, they're the only two songs I know of in this whole catalog that are about how you say uh, adult dancing. Yes. <laughs> but you... This is a debate. I don't know if you remember this. We used to have... We had a, like... Big debate about what strut is about. Right, right. In strut, right. Uncle Bobby says, um, I do respect her. I do respect her, but, but. <laughs> I love to watch her strut. 
is what he says. Matt used to say, no, 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 no. He's saying, I do respect her butt. (laughs) (laughs) I love to see her. I love to watch her strut. (laughs) And we would argue about that endlessly. And I hope that now you've given up on your <laughs> It does seem a little, a little silly in retrospect. The problem with all that stuff is like, oh, it's just like, I, you come back here, you hear so much classic rock. In Montana, you don't hear nearly as much. No, it's hard to keep up on it. But uh, oh, that stuff is so good, but it just gets so old, you know? You mean after a lifetime of listening to it? If, I wish, I don't. I wish I had like rock and roll dementia. Yeah. Where I so could just be new. All be gone and I could discover it anew, you know? Yeah, that'd be good. Because my, like, my, like mine's with, been taken. Like with friends that you haven't seen in five years, you'd, they'd get in your car and he'd be like, he had that album in five years ago when I got him in this car. Yeah. <laughs> Man, between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it's never ending. I'm talking about the, the, the subscriptions, the monthly dings on your credit card. Well, thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app. It goes in and finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. Meaning, you know, like, let's say there's like a show that comes out and you want to watch it and you wind up doing like this free trial and you forget about it. And then two years later, you realize you're paying those hosers 12 bucks a month for something you don't use. It finds that stuff, cancels it. It helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings instead. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Again, rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on on X and I'll look at the topography and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you, too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do? For your family this spring, you can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. 
Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a, a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to PolicyGenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com. I'm gonna roll. My mind's already been taken, but definitely, uh, definitely, the older I get, the, like the night moves thing. Because now that I'm like practically dead, can't wait. <laughs> it's especially meaningful. But I remember we had a conversation about Hollywood Nights when you're driving. Yeah, like that's a good driving song. Makes you want to drive. Yeah, faster than you should. Okay, so that, that's your Michigan tune. If you had to do, and and Mark uh, Kenny, I'm barring you from. <laughs> Doing what I think you're going to do. <laughs> one Michigan hunting and fishing activity. You have to pick one thing, one hunting and fishing thing in Michigan, and that's the only one you can engage in. And don't worry about, like, factoring out how many days you can participate in it for a year, but, like, the thing that is best to you. But you're barring me from saying what I think you're going to say. So I can't say deer hunting. Yeah, you can't do that. Right. Uh, Does that put you in a really bad position? No. Okay. No. You can say it. Easy answer, other than deer, would be turkey hunting. Turkey hunting. Send me. Uh, get me after the gobblers. Tender. <laughs> <laughs> Michigan Turks. Yanni? Michigan Turks. I probably had to go Turks, too, man. Yeah. No. I love my squirrels, yeah, but if, if I'm surprising. Going, really? Yeah, not I mean, surprising at all. But you really love squirrels. I really, I really love squirrels, man. But those, those turkeys, man. Like, somebody asked us recently about like which animal is most challenging, or what do you love about hunting so much? And I answered because I love the challenge. And I feel like I was, um, I wasn't clear enough, and, and people mistook that I was saying that I love the, just the physical challenge of it so much. But turkey hunting, really, a lot of times it's not that physical, right? Like, and, I, and that's one thing I love about it for looking at the future is when I'm an old man, I can probably still be hunting turkeys. But the turkey just consistently humbles me. And that's really nice to have in a species. Squirrels have been doing that to me lately as well. But I feel like there might come a time where I won't be humbled yeah. by the squirrel anymore. No, I'm with you. But, like, turkeys, the, the thing, I, you know, I love to hunt turkeys, and they do humble you. But sometimes I wonder if turkeys are hard because they get smart. Or is it because they're, they're so unsmart that they become completely unpredictable? <laughs> right? Because That's it could, if you really review it in your mind, there could be two things going on. One would be that he's cagey. Two is just he's completely irrational. There's probably a little bit of both going on. And you, you, you mistake his irrational character... Because you'd be like, well, why? Like, I'm making, like, these enticing sounds. You should want to come over here to make love to this hen turkey that I'm mimicking. But he's just so whacked out that it doesn't even occur to him. 
to come do it. If I could solve that, then I maybe would go with it. But I, I have a different one that I'm going to go with. But it doesn't matter because the chess game is only in my head. He's not really playing against me, right? He doesn't know. <laughs> Good point. Did you, did you, we talked about this before. Did you see the thing the guy did where I was saying, if you set up on a, like if you set up on a roost tree, 100 yards away from the roost tree, what are the odds that the turkey's just yeah, going to walk past you? Yeah, you showed me his calculations. Yeah. 13% of the time, he'll walk within shotgun range of you, which is kind of about right. Like, just randomly select a position in a, in a circle around a roost tree, and there's a 13% chance that he'll pass it in 40 yards of one side of you or the other. And I feel like that's about, I mean, I still love what you're saying, man. I'm not dogging on turkey hunting. No man, offense taken. Man, like, I want to say deer hunting too, but I, I, think that, I feel like that's kind of like everybody's kind of go to. Deer hunting, yeah, oh, I did ban that from that. <laughs> yeah, it was just me. But I also like, I also like, Honestly, like, bouncing around in a boat, like, bottom fishing, like, wondering what you're going to get out there. Mm -hmm. Like, just, like, panfish, bass, like, just an unknown lake, like, not knowing what's going to happen. Like, I like that. Drop bait down to the bottom yeah, of the lake. Yeah, just, like, seeing what you're going to get. Like, because, like, if you're turkey hunting, you're, like, going to get a turkey, which is great. You know, I love that. But I also like going out there with, like, kind of the unknown. Like, what am I going to get today? Like, I like that idea. Yeah, like, you're asking little questions to yeah, the lake. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I can't really, I'd, uh, you know, I'd be hunting grouse. I'd have to hunt grouse. That'd be the one, the one thing that um, <clears throat> if I couldn't travel anymore, I could always count on Michigan for having a handful of grouse to chase. So. Right, what, are, what are grouse numbers in Michigan doing right now? Well, I heard a guy say recently they do best in years that end in nine and zero. So that would be this <laughs> fall. And following fall from here. So it's good right now. It should be coming up. Yeah. We're hoping. So there's no, like, long-term trouble. Because, like, Indiana like, a state-endangered bird now, right? Yeah, Indiana is going to uh, list it as endangered. It's not going to affect us any, but it's going to be listed endangered there. No, it's, it's, it's still dropping off pre precipitously in every state. Like, our grouse numbers will never take what we took years ago. Just because changing timber practices? I think mostly. I think, you know, habitat's like everything. Habitat's habitat. It's like location, location to buy a house. Yeah. It's always habitat. But, you know, luckily, we do a little bit of timbering, you know. Not enough, but we do a little bit of timbering. But, I mean, you can find grouse, even if it's not a clear cut. You can find grouse, and yeah, that's the one thing I couldn't live without. I'd have to have that. I don't like this moving the sidebar of like taking it out of the season. Like, oh. I, I can't no, I didn't think say take it way. out of season like poach it. <laughs> oh, I had these guys over here shooting chicks in June or something. Oh, no, what I meant was, <laughs> what I meant was you could like, I'm trying to free you from feeling like you need to pick a thing just because you can do it for a long, oh. for many days. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with, even though that's the case, I'm going to stay with perch. Fishing yellow perch. Because, yeah. uh, well, I guess two reasons. You fished like, yellow perch today? I did. I did. Um, there's just so much opportunity. They're, they're so good to eat, and I just like the how egalitarian it is. You know, anybody can do it. Tent. You don't need permission. There's so many, you know, it's like every man's fish. Yeah, I'm know? with you. So, yeah. What, when I was thinking about this, I, I think about a lot uh, – 
the, the thing I liked most was something we only we didn't do that many times. And I think that you, Matt Drolls, you and our brother Danny pioneered it, which was where Pendles Creek yeah. flows out into Pendles Bay, yep. on, which is kind of like Whitefish Bay, right? Yeah. Of Lake yep. Superior. Yep. And you guys, this is in the mid-90s. Yeah, it would have been 96, 97, yeah. You guys figured out that you could go down there in the spring. Yeah. No, it's fall, too, though. We did both. Taking spawn sacks yeah. with little bits of foam in them yeah. and hucking them out and catching little dinker steelhead. Yeah. We said, yeah, day, yeah, it was amazing. It was you the, set up rods and just, like, just sit back and wait for them to go off. Surf, yeah. Yeah. Surf fish in Lake Superior. That's pretty fun, man. And one time we caught a beaver by the tail. I, I grabbed that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That was back when we would do something uh, called, we would call worrying wildlife. Yeah. Where you would just now and then detain a beaver. <laughs> um, just for the story, and which then, you would tell 20 years later on stage. Him as, send him along his, his way after, after worrying him. But, uh, you know, there's a picture I have. There's a picture I have from fishing <clears throat> Pendles Bay, like surf cast in Pendles Bay. And we were down there. I think it was, it was real windy, and I think we got done fishing, and everybody was drinking Boone's Farm wine. Yeah. And what stuck out, like what sticks out about the picture, and what sticks out about that little brief kind of moment when we did that a lot, was I remember it was, and I've talked about this a handful of times with friends of mine, it was, like, I guess I was hit the age where, you know like when you're, when you're really young, you got friends, but you don't think about them. That's when you call everybody fuckers, you know, yeah, and, yeah. Right? Yeah. And, like, that's how you are with your yeah. friends. You, you, you don't like, foster that friendship much. It's just there. It's just, you just take you, it for granted. It's just the yeah. guy you accuse of masturbating a lot. Yes, it's like, <laughs> you have a friend, you accuse him of masturbating, you give him the finger yeah. when you see him, yep. and, and he's just your main friend, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I know it's a good friend. Yeah, and you know that you're like, thick, you know, like Doug Duran says, you're like, no, it's not a dog, right? <laughs> so you're just together. But then... Like, at that, this Pendles Bay day that I'm thinking of was one of the first moments when I, whatever hit an age, where I was like, my God, do I like my friends. Yeah. You know, and like a way, and I have this picture from that day, and look at the picture, it's like this realization that, you know, you do like these people. They're not just people to, to flip off or whatever when yeah. you see them. And it was like this kind of like cherished moment. Now I always have this thing, and I look at it, and it's always anchored in time because we would drink a lot of boons back then. And I remember we were fishing Pendles Lake one time. Uh, that's so cold that our boons froze. I was, I was, and it rose up yeah. as a syrup. Yeah. And then we would just do shots of the syrup that came up out of the yeah. top of your boons. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, my daughter, my, I took my daughter ice fishing the other day, which, well, actually she asked me to go ice fishing, which is great, but then I found out later she was doing it because she wanted to get out of a babysitting gig that I didn't know she was asked to do. And she was like, my dad is going to take me ice fishing. And then she asked me to go ice fishing. So that was like the whole shtick. But then we were on the ice, and, and she was like, have you ever been out, out ice fishing for a whole day? And I was, like, thinking about one of those pendulum trips. Like, oh, yeah. Like, Steve and I used to go out, and, like, Matt and Dan would go out all day long. Cook out in the ice. Like, I left the Boone's Farm part out, but, like, get spent snow, all get day. snow blindness. Yeah, just stay She's out. She's going to hear that part now. And she, yeah, <laughs> that, she's like, and she was uh, very, like, that'd be fun. I'm like, and I was kind of, like, just what you said. I was thinking, like, yeah. And I, that was, those are good times, man. Those are good friends, like, just, like, all day long on that lake. You somehow don't recognize it when it's happening. No. no. Those fun ass times, man. Yeah. Okay, moving on to crossbows. Uh, <laughs> why, like, crossbows are super <laughs> controversial all of a sudden, man. 
I'm gonna be the guy up here that's a proponent of crossbows. You like them? I'm, Go I, so on. I'm going out so with my daughter and like with the. There's a youth hunt that takes place earlier in the season, and on public land you can't use a rifle. This is this is all correct, right? I'm saying this correct. Well, where? And, and so it'd be northern, like Grand Traverse, like Traverse County. Like you can't use a a youth can't use a rifle on public land during that early season hunt. Hmm. Never been up there for that. Yeah. So. I'll buy that. Does that so, sound right? Yeah. Does not sound right. <laughs> so anyhow, so it was time for me to get a new bow, and she was like eight or eight ish, and so I was starting to take her hunting. And so I was kind of tr- figuring like, what could I like? What could I like? I could invest in a new bow for me. Yep. I can buy this like crossbow that she and I can both use. It's like universe. And she was into hunting, but she was like, she was still nervous about like gunshots. This is kind of like a like a like a gateway drug into that, I guess. Like with this yeah, crossbow. I'm with you. And she loved it. And like I kind of bought it as like for her, but now I use it. It's great. Like I love it. And you know, there's all these talks about like you take these like far shots, and it's it's you know, it may just be how I view it, not how I, I hunt, but I, I haven't taken a shot with that thing that I would not have taken with a bow. Like, I don't, like, you know, it, it's, you shoot it, you can see that bolt still moving, so it's not like it's rifle, you know, quality of, like, taking an 80-yard shot. You know, if you shoot a bow, you know, you know, you got those dudes that, that, that jump the string or whatever and, like, you know, move quickly, so you always got that in mind. So any, like, far shot, like, I always have that in mind. So I just make sure it's, like, a normal bow shot and take it with that, that crossbow. And you're having success. Yeah. Yeah. You ever shot one, Mark? I have shot crossbows, never at a, an animal. But my dad used a crossbow. My grandpa used one back in the day. I don't have a problem with them. I, I understand why some people see there being ethical questions around long shots or why some people right. don't like the idea of a bunch of people just grabbing a crossbow and heading out during their cherished archery season. But who's, I mean, who's drawing these lines of what's okay, what's not? You could have a traditional archer say, well, you shouldn't be taking your crossbow. But I think it's also like you put a lot of stock in and just like hunting is so much more than like that, that piece of equipment that you use, I think. Yeah. You know, so you put all this like stock in like hunting is just like if you're using a bow or a crossbow that, that makes or breaks whether or not you're like, an ethical hunter or like enjoying the hunt. We just talk about like, you know, like the, the, like the numbers of bow hunters are declining. Well, like that's probably not good for hunting. And, and that's you know? my, yes, sir. No, I was no, going to say the, the biggest reason why I'm okay with crossbows is simply because of that trend. Anything that's going to help people stick around in the hunting po- participating population longer, I'm going to be okay with. And that's something that a is easier for new hunters to pick up. So if we want to make it easier for new folks to get into deer hunting and try archery hunting, it's a whole heck of a lot easier for someone who maybe is interested in eating local food. Some guy who's 25 and is intrigued by the food aspect of it. It's going to be really hard to get that person right out the gate shooting a vertical bow, but give him a crossbow. Got a chance. And for kids, like I bought it for my daughter and, and I think that's a good like kind of entry level, like piece of equipment for, you know, you know, if she, if she pursues it more then we'll, then we will buy you know, a, a decent bow, but like, this is kind of like a way to get her, to stay out in the woods with me yep. and like kind of be engaged in, in her own and she can use it. So yeah, I, I think that I, I, I didn't know how I felt about it when it first came on the scene and then I, you know, thought about it and bought this and I'm happy with it. I think it's a good, good, good thing. Yeah. Like I advocate, like if there's someone who got into hunting, picked up a crossbow and that's what they started with and they liked it. I would tell that person just from my own personal experiences if you like that, you would really love trying a compound. Yeah, well, I agree. Like, there's a, it's, a, it's another level. It's a different experience. It requires another 
a totally different level of time and energy and expertise, but it makes that experience a little bit different, a little bit more intimate in some way. Uh, what if instead they say, this was great, but now have you seen these things that shoot the bolts out of what looks like a rifle? Right. What are they called? Act, yeah. Rifles? Bolt guns? <laughs> Air bows, yeah. What if they say, you know what, this thing just shoots an arrow too. Right. I can well, is that regarded it. as a gun or a bow? We haven't decided yet. Oh, no one's decided yet. I mean... Well, can I use this during archery season? I understand. Like, there's got to be a line, a line drawn somewhere. And I agree that's, that's a tough question to answer. And what's interesting is that, for whatever reason, when I look at that, my gut's like, oh, no, that should not be used. But then when you start thinking about, well, why? Why? Where's the... Maybe there's some mechanical thing within that that then we can point to. So if it has this mechanism that propels the bolt of the arrow, then it can qualify as archery. But if it's compressed gas or something like that, I don't know. Um, you know, our dad was involved because he, he started bow hunting very early. And he was involved with groups that were early on petitioning states to create archery seasons, which at the time was very controversial for many of the same reasons that people point to controversies around crossbows. People didn't want to have archery seasons because it was going to destroy deer hunting, on and on. But then, so he was involved in that in the 50s and then was vehemently opposed to crossbows for the same set of reasons that he battled against, you know, to, to try to bring in archery seasons. I don't know. I've never, I've never shot one. So I don't really have, I, 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 this is just something I'm trying to look at and figure out. I had a guy right in, he's like, yeah, you know, efficacy rates don't really go up with crossbows, but it's only because inexperienced hunters use them. He said, if the real hard hitters, if the real hard hitters were using them, it'd be like game over from his perspective. Like the real lifelong hard hitters switch to that. It'd be like, they'd be exceptionally deadly. So I don't know. Any instincts, Matt? I don't know. I don't. I don't have an ethical position on it. it. My own state where I hunt, and I'm very selfish about like I like there to be few as few people in my areas as possible. <laughs> He's as, not in the I, I would. I would very, completely selfishly hope they don't have crossbows. Yeah. Because it seems like it would turn into more people being in the areas. Do you think? I go do you to. think more people like? Do you think? People that didn't hunt also started hunting because crossbows came on the scene. Absolutely, you think so? I, I, oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not, or I rifle or rifle hunters. I, I could, that's oh. what comes to mind to me yeah. is that a rifle hunter would be like, "Oh, now I can hunt bring bows and bulls yeah. with this thing." And I think the whole question comes down to which way do you look at things? Do you look at that from the perspective of do you want more hunters or do you want fewer hunters? Do you want fewer hunters because it's going to lead to that a better experience you. for you personally? Then you probably don't want crossbows. If you are less concerned about your specific way of experiencing the wild and what your hunt's going to be like, and you are thinking more about what are things going to be like 20 years from now when my son's hunting, then that person, I think, supports crossbows. I'm on board until Matt loses opportunity. Once Matt starts losing <laughs> opportunities, I say no more. Okay. I, I'm, I'm ready to move on. I want to talk about uh, emotional support dogs. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good, you, it's a good okay, pivot. Ryan, how many dogs do you own? Currently five. Do you have any of them registered as an emotional support dog? 
Oh, even registered as one? No. Like, do you have an emotional support dog? No. No. So how, like, can, Matt, can you, we, we haven't really talked about this. You have one. I have an emotional support course. Can you yeah. break down for me? <laughs> Are you at liberty to talk about it? Sure. Okay. As long as the airlines, some uh, representatives well, aren't. Let, let me, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd like to interject. I'd like to interject. Can you explain? I want you to talk. I don't want to get yourself in trouble. From the perspective of someone with an emotional support dog. Yeah, well, I... Because <laughs> how is it... Okay, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, finish your question. I, okay. Is it just that you don't want to be inconvenienced, <laughs> so therefore you have an emotional support dog, or do, like, just, just to speak for your community, is it that you guys are like, oh, you mean I could do this and then just bring my dog everywhere? <laughs> Is it right, that, or is right. it I emotionally? Right. Well, I guess it's like, um, <laughs> I, I enjoy being <laughs> with my dog. So, like, I like my dog to be with me. And I just so happen to, like, I, I, uh, I have struggled with depression my whole life, so I'm on antidepressants, which makes me eligible. So To get the dog. To have Shifty be an emotional support dog. Is it more emotional for you to be with? Is it more emotional for you without the dog? So it's yeah. really the only reason I registered is I I, I saved a few hundred bucks on uh, <laughs> airline tickets. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's totally legit, right? And, no, it is legit. I didn't know. And, that was... and because she's an emotional support dog, I'm allowed to like have her on a leash next to me on the plane. Outside of a kennel, but I don't want people. I want people to think I'm paying to take her, so I put her in a kennel oh. so they don't think I'm. They don't. Yeah. They don't know I'm crazy. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta. I gotta. I want to put the comparison to this because I. I know people who've done this. Getting an emotional support dog permit is like getting a, a medical marijuana slip from your doctor. It's the same. If you say I got a headache, yeah. okay, here you can buy marijuana. Nah, I don't nah that was, my I, doctor wanted a few days to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Same doctor. <laughs> so you don't, but you don't use them for, because like with bird dogs, it'd be great, right? Oh, I'd, you know, I, I could fly to Alaska with one and go hunt ptarmigan if I could tell him I was, you know, I needed a dog for emotional support. That'd be great, but. You just haven't done it. I, I, I never even thought about it, but I know people who've done it. I know people who've done it with a, full-size dog and they were afraid they were going to get caught because like you said you don't want to say too much because part of it's for convenience you know you you love that dog you don't want to leave it at you're home. putting words in my mouth <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> can emotional support dogs be any size or do they have yeah, to be any size a, any breed doesn't yep. matter could be a mastiff or corgi doesn't matter if uh change your gears a little bit if you this song, I think, just I get I get nostalgic in Michigan. If, what's the thing from growing up that if you when you tell someone about it now, oh boy, <laughs> what's what part of like some belief system or thing that was typical or that happened or extraordinary or whatever that when you tell someone that that happened to you when you were young, it sounds the most fucked up. Can I lead off with like, that? Like one? From, from a hunting perspective no, or just in general? Just whatever you want. Right. It could be. Go, go ahead. I, you have a clarifying you, question? 
you sent us a couple ideas that we'd be talking about, and I said, Steve must have put me up to this one. You have one? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I did put you up to it. I sent the idea to you. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, but I thought you, you threw that one in because you know some history about me. Oh, no, because I have things I can't tell. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have, no, there's some things that, there's, there's some practices that I was uh, familiar with. I'm talking about, right. like, in the sporting life. Right. That um, now I just have to, I, I would talk about them with you downstairs, right. say. Right, But not up here. <laughs> no, this, up is just here. Growing, this is just, like, growing up stuff. Things that you can't believe. And people nowadays. Yeah, the, I'll, do, I'll do mine just to set, to, to, to give what I'm talking okay. about. Okay. Okay, because I got mine ready. I tell my I told my wife this story, and I told my kids this story, and they look at me like they, they can't picture what I'm talking about. My dad used to have a friend who would come over. Uh, he was a, he was a drunkard named Mr. Higgins, and I remember Mr. Higgins coming over our house one time on his snowmobile in his snowsuit, but didn't have clothes on under his snowsuit. <laughs> and do you remember this? Yeah, I, and he took. One of our pet hamsters <laughs> and put it in his snowsuit. Wasn't, wasn't a gerbil. Yes, no, it was a hamster. Okay. Put it, I think it was a hamster, not a gerbil. I think gerbils yeah, came I, into I fashion. Think it was a, I think it was a hamster. Yeah. And put it in his snowsuit and let it run around while saying, I love that little critter. <laughs> now, I, and it burned, in, it burned into my mind. Just Mr. Higgins. How drunk he'd be, how he'd come over on a snowmobile, and it just is like, and I probably even messed parts of it up, but when I tell people, I don't know why, but it's just like one of the stories that's in my repertoire. Yeah. And it's gotten to be that these people used to laugh, and now I tell people, they look at me like, you can't be telling me this. Like, nobody would do this. Like, now... If he were to try to do that, he would burn up in flames or something on yeah, the way over. Like, right. guys don't show up dressed that way, drunk on snowmobiles anymore. Right. It's just, for whatever reason. Right. Something yeah. in the air. The <laughs> it's times. Not, it's not accepted. <laughs> it's just. So, I, I'm going to take liberty because you know the story. Matt probably does. And me being the old guy here. Um, I mean, the one thing oh, is like I know what you're you gonna know do. Where I'm going. This is the greatest. This, this is the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> it's not. It wasn't when you were growing up. But I, I want to preface it with when I was a kid. It, you know, I'm 61 years old. We literally got out of the house in the morning and left. And we lived in the city of Chicago, in the city. And we it's just came all back black and, and white. It, it just yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just. It, so what I'm getting at is like our parents didn't really. I'm not saying they didn't care. They just didn't worry like parents worry now. They didn't helicopter. And on that same thread, there was a policy at the Chicago Public Schools that I, had, I was oblivious to in eighth grade. In Chicago, you went first to eighth grade. You didn't you have guys a skip second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Start from an eighth. That's what oh. happened. Now I know. Where you know where I'm going. Yeah. All right. So, like, you get junior high here in well, Michigan. Well, I don't understand what just happened between you two. Well, he knows I the story. just know, I know what the story yeah. is. Oh, now. I thought you yeah. knew about skipping from no. first to eighth. <laughs> and so I graduate eighth grade. Like, we didn't have a middle school thing. So you go from this little school with one little gymnasium. Uh, I'm, I'm with to, you now. To the, yeah. so, this takes putting a hamster in your trousers and yeah. kicking it up. This, this happened to every There's kid. no junior high. No junior high. So you come from eighth grade, and all of a sudden, you're going to go now with these, all these people older than you and your, all your friends from eighth grade. 
Yeah, it was and, like dudes with five o'clock shadows and stuff. Oh, yeah. You're in eighth grade. The guy that could buy you beer, yeah. you know, in sophomore year. And come to find out, and this is, you can Google this, it is a policy, was a policy until 1976. I graduated in 75. That boys swam naked in swim class. <laughs> now, I, so, I'm not... We, so bizarre. We, we sat... We, now, oh, yeah. I'm not trying to steal the thunder because no one's got oh, no, one. Listen, man. The, the thunder is... The thunder is... You have the thunder. You're Thor in this one. <laughs> Matt was there. We were all up at the fish shack in Alaska. And I'm telling the story. You guys are rolling... And uh, Doug's not believing me. And Danny kid's the only one that had a signal on his phone. And Danny goes, yeah, look here. Boys in Chicago swam naked from 1938 to 1975. And I'll, I'll, I'll end it on that, but... You, what, what were they getting at? Nobody knows. You can look it up and they say, uh, the, you know, the, you know the, the, the swimsuits, if they weren't well kept and they were just dirty... I'm like, it didn't make any sense. I could go into too many sw swimming stories, but I just want you to picture. <laughs> and, and I don't think you're going sour here. Just did. It's, but, like, it's like Pink Floyd's The Wall, man. <laughs> it's like they're like, it makes no sense. No, so, it's, it's just, they're like, I, I, I want to make sure to cause as much psychological damage to the to children as possible. Right. And... <laughs> the point I was getting before was our parents didn't go to school. We didn't even have parent-teacher conferences unless you were, a, you know, the kid that was in the hallway all week. And so if you come home and you say, we swam naked, your mom would go like, you're going outside, be back by dinner. You know? It didn't seem to bother anybody that I was also born October 30th. So I was like way behind the maturity scale. <laughs> When, and I, you, were, you were 11 months behind everybody else. I just kept looking in the locker for swimsuits and watching everybody walking. I'm like, looks like my dad. It's got to be, got to be one here somewhere. Okay, I felt like I did, I had less on than if you know what I'm saying. So, it's like, like you got naked and then took more stuff off. <laughs> I was more naked. And I, to, to this day, I can't swim a lake. <laughs> I go up in the boat with you. I got the one life preserver, and if it gets wet, it goes... <laughs> anyway, so... I'm, yeah, really. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I ate up too much time on that. I'm no. sorry. It's weird because, like, at that same time, I thought everybody was running around in those Rodney Dangerfield swimsuits, like, from back to school. Like, the, like the suit. That was a little before me. But... <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I, I got nothing after You're that. You're tapped out? Yeah, I'm dead. <laughs> Sorry. Mark, any, any practices that... Uh, when I was a kid, I listened to Billy Joel. <laughs> there's some things that are so embarrassing Mark keep it to yourself <laughs> parents just wouldn't let that happen anymore was it supposed to have a Michigan twist or no I know this this from, our, like, from our childhood oh right. yeah because he violated the Michigan rule no just go ahead when you, and when you tell the story now people kind of look at you like is that for real yeah like oh, you like I, it feels I, very like you're dating something like another one I'll tell 
Oh, well, I, I think I got something for you. <laughs> it's like when, when I tell all you guys about Latvian summer camp and when, what went on there. You guys all look at me like, yeah, really? what? I, I can go on and on about the activities that went on there, but it's it's just like every other summer camp, except it was Latvian summer camp. Was we like Ronnie's swimming experience? No, nothing like that. <laughs> like another version of what I'm saying would be that I remember one time my dad rounding a corner, and my brother, we were little kids, sh- the door swung open and he shot out onto the curb. <laughs> so there there's like a couple things where no safety belts, no child restraint seats, and he's riding shotgun. <laughs> so that's just different now. Like, now it's hard to picture a kid squirting out of yeah. a fast-cornering yeah. car. <laughs> for... hmm. no, yeah. no, nothing. You, you go. No, no, I, I don't know if I have anything like that from my... Yeah, I, I kind of misread the question. Oh, um, what did you think it meant? I, I, I thought you were talking about, like, really inhumane things we did as kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I was saying. And then I thought, well, downstairs. it must be okay to talk about that. But now that I realize that's not what you're asking, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure it wouldn't be okay to yeah. talk about it. <laughs> Although it does indicate how things were different. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up bubbly doug's place on on x and i'll look at the topography and i'll be like oh that sucker must be over in that little opening over there waypoints also and the ability to share them okay comes in handy every spring whether that's revisiting old waypoints where i've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds this app will help you find more turkeys on x hunt has a special offer for you too Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. 
Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. I don't, I don't I, listen, man, I, I rarely go into stores to buy clothes. I like to, I just buy my stuff online and I love their shirts. Max that I work with, Max Bard, who comes on the podcast one day. I don't know if he sent me a link to this place. I went on and bought some shirts. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing and get like a whole different cut of the shirt. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. They got it started out with a lightweight fishing shirt. Now they make all kinds of other lines. Western, denim, flannel, corduroy. Better fitting. Not, not all baggy. Better performing because they got modern fabrics with some stretch and breathability. And way comfortable. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com. Use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. Are you guys familiar with, um, Mark, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. If, if, you, like, if you shoot a high-fence deer, is, is it true, like, that deer is non-admissible into Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett? Correct. That's Not, correct. Yeah. So, we got a number there of questions There are separate record books for that kind of thing. What's yeah. that? There are, people keep those records, but not the Fair Chase, Boone and Crockett, or Pope and Young books. But like, SDI will accept it, right? Yeah. Pretty yeah. sure SDI and some other thing. So Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young will not accept like a, confi- a deer from a confined area yeah. in the record books. But we got a couple of emails from guys asked an interesting question where the, the fish world doesn't have an equivalent. So some dude, like I want to get my story straight here. Some guy in Tennessee bakes a pond, has a private pond, and basically builds a crappie in the pond that beats the state record oh, by on. yeah beats the state record by a pound. That guy should be ashamed of himself. Man. And then <laughs> that's like that's so ridiculous. It's but like, the I but IFGA accepts the the fish. But isn't the whole idea of having a trophy that you like had accomplished something? Well, and this other guy wrote, and Mark might even know about this. I don't know. I keep, I don't want to put it on you. But it's, there's there's a guy in Texas who's managing a pond, and his whole deal is just to grow the next world record bass. And he says that this feller was actually influential in the creation of food plots to grow large whitetails. I don't know if that's true or not. It was last May that the guy in Tennessee raised himself up in a little pond, a new world record crappie. So So it's more about, now it's like, it's not about, your angling skill, it's like how good you are at fish husbandry. It's egg. Yeah. Yes. But that's but this is where this is where it gets like a rich subject because that that's like what that's plot? what people's happen like there's 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 the argument that white that like whitetail hunting has become animal husbandry. It's become like like big time whitetail oh, hunting has become more akin to animal husbandry than hunting. Yeah. Which, you know, I, there's sides to it. But this idea that um that, that that's infiltrating or permeating the fish world and should an organization that, that tallies records, like the IFJ is very strict. Like if you hook a fish, 
and then hand the rod to me and I land it, that fish is ineligible. Right. Okay, oh, yeah. you can't gaff it, all kinds of stuff, but you can basically make a frankenfish. Yeah, and that's... As uh, long as I don't yeah. hand the rod to you. Right, right. It's the record. It's, it's like, uh, what is the goal? I thought the, it, it seems like the goal should be like, that if you get a high score in one of these things, that that's like emblematic of some kind of an accomplishment. Yeah. And so it just, it's, to, I've always argued that there should be one that's like, for the score you get when you shoot something where everybody else can go. And that would be like the one that most people would aspire to have the top score at. Yeah, like you, you've proposed the idea, and I've talked about it. You've proposed the, 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 like the hunt purity score. Is that hunt, not even, hunt purity that's not index even a, is a different thing. The entirely. hunt purity index is different. Yeah, that's that's a that's a different animal. But this this is about like if we're gonna have some number that um, quantifies a hunting achievement, it should be there should be one that's designated for fishing game that was harvested where anybody can go. Yeah. Do they have to catch this, like, so this, this fish he's raised, do you have to, do you actually have to catch it? Like on a hook and line to, like, yeah. qualify? Yeah. yeah. You, no, you got to then catch yeah. it. Of the pond you have right there. Yeah, you can't <laughs> net it up. <laughs> yeah. You got to, like, catch it by certain well, that criteria. Makes it perfect, then. Well, is there any difference in that and making your property into food pots and all that other stuff? No. I don't know. I'm throwing. So I like to fish out of the pond in the backyard. Yeah, yeah. I think the bigger well, issue. Go I ahead. Think the bigger issue is is even the idea of applying or saying that the score of an animal's antlers is indicative of some kind of skill that you as a hunter has yeah. at all. I think that's where our issue is in general. That we're looking at this number. Yeah, somehow. but what else is it? If if it's not that, well, I, I would say it, let's I mean, get rid of it I'd altogether. Say it's, I'd say it's like always that. Like, why else would you have a scoring system? Unless well, it's like a way, a surrogate for how long your well, no, that's is. Not why they so came when up the, with, that's not why they came up with scoring systems. Right. When the Boone and Crockett Club was started, they were keeping, they were trying to improve the, the records available to understand these species back in the you know, 1890s. Yeah, they were well, it's, it's, they come, it's come a long way. It's come a long way, but no, it's important to understand that, that it was a way that you could, it was a way you could look, you could look at long-term trends of what the landscape was capable of producing. So, so whatever they became, the there, like there was, there was a way to it was like at a time this sort of way to tabulate and, and, and mark what what species were doing. Right. How, how but long now did it's live? like when somebody tells you yes. the, the inches of their deer, they're not they're not boasting about what productive habitat they hunt. No, I, I, I think it. that score can be valuable as like an indication of uh, like the rarity. Of an animal, like I, I killed a deer that scored higher than a deer I've ever killed a higher scoring deer than I ever have before this past year. Does that mean I'm some kind of great hunter because of it? No. The only thing I look at that as proof of anything is just simply I was fortunate enough to kill a very rare deer, and so in my own mind, that that's kind of special just because of how rare that animal is out there. But no way do I assign any kind of like higher skill level to myself because I killed an X deer. And so and so killed uh, so many less than just deer. But you're drifting, but that's drifting for what we're talking about when we're talking about 
like the thing with raising a fish up in a pond is it's in a completely controlled environment. Right. So it's not even, it's not like you're taking on the idea that the, should there be a, like maybe you're arguing the idea, should there be, is there validity to having a system by which we score things? And with fish, it's just weight, you know? But this is sort of like, if, if you have like our normal notion of like someone catches a fish, there's a normal sense of um, he got it. Oh, definitely. And where, whereas others could not. I, I have a question because I, you know, I'm not the big game hunter in the room. So when this, we're talking about fish. Okay, but I gotta go to Boone and Crockett. <laughs> okay. So if Boone and Crockett or Pope and Young was started to to see what how deer were healthier, bigger, bigger antlers. Are we saying in the beginning of Boone and Crockett there was nobody's name next to who shot it? No, they did. Well, then I go back with Matt's idea. Well, there's all <laughs> kinds of information yeah. about it. Yeah, okay. but it wouldn't be important to have the hunter's name on it. Let's say, let's say you knew that some county in Michigan, once upon a time, some county in Michigan used to every year, I'm just going to pull this, like a, a number that's not achieved, but let's right. say some county in Michigan every year would kill 20 Boone and Crockett bucks. Every year. Yep. But then you look, and it's been a decade since one has been produced in that county. Do you regard that as helpful or not helpful information? If I was a big game hunter, I guess I'd find that as helpful if, if I was looking for bigger antlers. If you were a guy that wanted a deer with a big score, yeah, it'd yeah. be very helpful. Be very helpful. <laughs> I think, but I also think it's telling, it's telling of something else. The fact that some people abuse it or fetishize it, I don't think then means that the whole idea of scoring something is invaluable. Right. Or, or invalidated because some guy is a prick about it. So do you think this guy will go back next year, catch that crappie again, <laughs> and have the first and second place? <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of fish, <laughs> shit. what uh, health advisories on fish? Like, you eat a lot of fish. Yeah. You eat a fair bit of fish. You eat much fish, Mark? Some, but uh, not as much as you get. You pay much attention to health advisories? I don't. You really don't? I really don't. It's, it's trick, like, they, I, I don't, but I'd rather I didn't know about them. That's, yeah. <laughs> It'd be more fun you if this question earlier, I got nervous. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't <laughs> be thinking about I'll that. I'll say that, like, I, I'm willing to trust, I mean, I, I, I'm, I live as though I trust the science emphatically. Like, if there's, there's, a, there's a reservoir by my house that I fish, and it says, don't eat fish out of here more than three times a month. And That's I'll a hell like, of a lot of fish, though. I'll be like, okay, I will, if as long as I don't eat four times, then I am 100% <laughs> safe, you know? Um, it's weird. There's so much weird stuff about food. It's like, though, it's like, uh, I know I hear people talk about that all the time, that pond. Um, but these are people, like friends of mine where I live, that like, oh, no, there's that help. But these are people that eat grilled meat and processed meat, like brats and stuff, four or five times a week. There's so much evidence that grilled meat causes cancer. Yeah. It's, like, undeniable, but they'll do that, you know. So it's like... That's one of the things that frustrates me about it is when I was living in Seattle, we had a great yellow perch fishery. No one would touch it. Because everyone knows about this thing 
that you weren't supposed to eat more than like some number a month. But I'm like, weren't you just shit-faced the other night? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> ask your doctor, how often should I get so drunk that I can't remember where I was? I, I can't even. Not more than four times per week. He's like, I'm not eating No way I'd eat fish out of that thing. I, I don't pay attention to advisories because this box says the, word, the Surgeon General says quit smoking now because it greatly reduces your risk of health. And that's not slowing you down? Not a bit. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, talk, yeah, I talk about what uh, Parker Hall's perspective on it. His perspective is if he was to be so lucky and to be such a good fisherman for the rest of his days to catch so many fish that he would then poison himself and his family from feeding them so many of these fish, then he, will, he and his family will die happy because he was such a good fisherman. <laughs> good. He'll know he was a winner. Yeah. He, he had a lot of good days spent. Okay, uh... Mark, I hate with another deer one. Yeah. Being in deer hunting country and all. A guy wrote in wondering this. You know how the, there's this commonly held perception, probably true, seemingly true, that when you pressure deer, they become nocturnal. They, they become increasingly nocturnal with pressure. You don't, you don't like that? No, I mean, to a degree, yes. It, it, it's increased Widely, pressure. Is it a commonly held perception? Yeah, commonly I would say it changes deer. Everyone here would agree deer. that there's like a thing like, you know, deer under more and more pressure do more and more, yeah. move less during daylight. This guy has a great idea that I think will, I'm going to tell you, Mark, I'm going to give you a hot tip. <laughs> this is going to change the whitetail world. All right. Why not go mm -hmm. out on your property and raise holy hell at night all the time? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and drive them diurnal. Very interesting idea. <laughs> it's a great idea. Those deer are like, bro, I don't do shit at night. <laughs> do you see? Do you see the people out here? <laughs> I wait till that sun is high in the sky, and then I go out into that field <laughs> and catch a bite. Changing lives. What's that? You're changing lives right there. That's. It's an interesting idea. And another dude about whitetails wrote in wondering um, if you could, by the app, through the liberal application of dough and heat, <laughs> lure, urine, if you could make the rut come earlier by, by all the mimicry and making deer think they were missing out. No. You're not buying oh, that. Oh, I now. think you could. <laughs> well, I'll say this. I don't know if you could or not. But I think that you could potentially instigate a rut because I think bucks are, can breed does any time. No. Can they? I think so. That they're always the only reason they're... I think they're, so, too. Yeah. The, the biggest That's thing is trying to get a doe, trying to get a doe to stand. Yeah, well, people are that way. It doesn't mean that perch are. Well, <laughs> yeah, but female, like human females... Are ready all the time too, but yeah, but cattle <laughs> not all the uh, time. Cows aren't. No, that's a big thing. That's where they think. That's one of the things they think drove human monogamy. Was the I like a thing that drove human monogamy? That is that there's no like one a, a 
human female is receptive. There's no outward manifestation. It's not like a baboon or something where there's an outward manifestation. <laughs> and it could happen at any point in time. It could happen throughout the year. Throughout the year. So you didn't have, the, like, humans to, to guard your reproductive partner. You couldn't be like a deer and be like, I'm out for 11 months. But I'll be back when the action happens. You had to, like, be, and it, and it, sort, of, and it sort of drove, you know, like, humans are kind of monogamous. And that's a thing that helped drive it. Never heard that. <laughs> Monogamous. <laughs> <laughs> but where, where were we in this? Oh, well, the white tail. Are you right. challenging that a buck can? He's he's ready to go whenever. Uh, I know that. Right, that the rut is triggered by changing levels of daylight, which yes. then impacts rising levels in testosterone in a buck and estrogen in a doe. And so, when the doe reaches that certain level, which is triggered only by the change in daylight, that then will bring her into heat, which then will allow her, or leads to her standing and a buck being able to mate her. Uh, would a buck be able to do that otherwise if you could, if you could somehow... Now, I think there have been studies that where they've put deer in controlled environments where they can change, where they can control photo period and then have been able to change the timing of breeding within a closed facility on, like, lab deer, basically. So if you could do that to a doe, but then have a buck just maintain regular status quo? Would he breed her if she was standing in April because she thought it was the time to go? Maybe. Um, but I don't think that psyching him out with a bunch of snort wheezes and buck grunts is going to do it. <laughs> you know, this, I, I'm going to throw something out there, and I don't expect anyone to really notice, but I know that a listener will know and email in. If you were to capture a deer, capture a deer here, a, a, a buck, and then transport that buck, to the southern hemisphere. How long would it take until he was shedding his antlers six months later? Hmm. Now that is a question. question. Right. <laughs> um, I got have one you, more. I, I got a follow-up for you. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Yanni. Um, have any of you guys ever wished that instead of being year-round, like we have it, that you could switch like roles with, say, a bull elk or the elk species. Have like a human rut. And just roll in like, you know, early to mid-September and hang out for about 30 days, fight and roll around in mud and piss, get things done, and then, and then leave. What are you going to do for the other 11 months of the year? I don't, I'm just asking. If you Don't make it during deer that. season. Yeah, but it'd be like a wedding reception all the time, man. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's such an interesting thought that we had never as a species got into the way we're in. It's just like this time of year when all of a sudden, like, everyone's going to breed now. It's highly competitive. There's no sense of allegiances. That's Dudes are just, work. like, beating each other to death. That's not going to work. They bring out the No, they, they, those things have names. It's like five store. beta alpha and stuff like that, right? <laughs> okay, one last one, and then we're going to play seeing through the bullshit. Uh, reincarnated. Did I preview this one with you guys? Yeah. Yeah. You gave reincarnated. I didn't read the whole email, this. so I don't think I got that far. You saw this email come in? <laughs> yeah. 
But I didn't read the whole thing, so I, I didn't, I'm not No, but you see the dude that emailed us about this? No. Oh. You could be reincarnated as an animal. What do you go with? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's too oh, easy. Yeah, you did, that that's was on the platter. Easy. Thank you. <laughs> the um, eagle. Mine is. I want to be a big old bull elk, man. I really? Wanna, is everybody trying to shoot at I you? I want to rip one, big old bugle. I want to urinate down my leg. <laughs> I want to freaking destroy some trees and shit. You don't care how bad and you smell. I want to juke some dude, like make him follow me down the mountain for three miles and then just vanish. <laughs> But you didn't yeah. speak up like, on that last question. Raise hell. That last question, you just had the Climb opportunity. Climb a mountain and not even feel it. <laughs> yeah. It'd be nice. Ripping them bugles would be cool oh, as shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, Daddy, do your, do your uh, way far off elk bugle. Oh, everybody get ready. <laughs> this is a This is one. a bugle way far off. Where you're like, I lost did I just it. Hear that one? was so far off, you barely heard. Rip, rip another one. <laughs> I want the kind where you're like, you can't even tell if you heard it. <laughs> <laughs> That's when he barks at you. So you come back as the Lavine Eagle. You come back as the Bull Elk, ripping up trees and bugling. I'd roll Flying Squirrel, man, because <laughs> have you ever uh, won? Because I want like squirrels are cool, but I want people shooting at me and. Have you ever felt the soft tummy <laughs> on a flying squirrel? Yes. It is unbelievable. It is like the most like velvet. The most unbelievable. So you, you picture yourself every night kicking back with a cold beer. Yes. And just, just like when you're, you know, when you're like when you're laying in bed and you and you and you're like you move your leg to get to a fresh zone or whatever. Yeah. Just. The feeling of myself <laughs> as a flying squirrel. Yeah. And you get a little bit of that eagle feeling every now and then. I would just wake up to. and be like, geez, do I feel good. <laughs> like, I mean, I feel good. <laughs> yeah. I'm, loon. Loon? Loon. Yeah, you can fly, you can fish. People like you. Yeah. yeah. No one shoots at no you. No shoots at you. Yeah. Loon. You get to make that cool noise yeah, out on the lake. Fly out at night, just over the head. You hear him like making that loon sound. Yeah, loon. <laughs> Our dad called muck loon shit. It was like bad muck. Yeah. Deep muck was that. Yeah, that's a good animal. That's all right. They probably live long. Yeah. What are you going to roll with, Mark? Ah, uh, I went a very different direction than you guys. Um, <laughs> I was thinking like first, like a wolf, like I like to hunt, but then I realized, eh, I'm not really a pack animal. I'm much more kind of like a curmudgeon that would want to sit in a tree by myself and wait and watch. Old mountain lion. Mountain lion. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I I'm going to stick with the game bird thing because that's everything I do. And, um, so you're going to live about a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be a good year. And... You know, it's like, well, like, I hid in some brush. Like, there's like, everyone knows, like, technically, in some cases, geese mate for life. You know, and uh, I was telling you earlier today how uh, a Bob White quail will, she'll lay her eggs, get together with the male that's fertilized her or, you know, bred with her. 
leaves him to watch the eggs and she goes off like my first wife and does it again. <laughs> but the ringneck pheasant is, I, I want to be gaudy. I want to have a big rooster crow. And I don't want to be, I, wanna, I don't want to be monogamous in my next <laughs> life. I want to be, I want to have all the ladies and have no responsibility. And if you're an elk, you got to take care of all them women at the same time. Oh, that's just, that's a lot of work. Yeah, you you just want to go one. one I just want to run one. around and crow again and, yeah, rooster. <laughs> all right, Giannis, uh, let's tell, pull up who's, comp my, the person my mom picked. You got your piece of paper? Yeah, should we do that first? <laughs> well, and then while that person, because my mom picked the underdog, it's going to be an hour till they get down here. Oh, yeah, that's um, a good idea. That's going to be a while, isn't it? <laughs> uh, and then we'll explain how, how it works. All right, so the person that is sitting in this seat, if you would like to, please come on down to the stage and you're going to play Seeing Through the Bullshit, presented by Vortex, with us. It is the balcony right center. Okay, so do you, does everybody know which section that is if you're up there? It should say on your ticket. Okay, you guys know. You are in balcony right center, and the seat is M. Three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's how. So our, our, we wanted to do the game, and our buddies at Vortex helped us out by creating a gift that we can give out. Do I have? Oh, they're right here. Yep. So you get these here. Uh, brand spigoty new, 10 by 42, Fury binoculars. <laughs> Souped up. Souped up high-end binoculars with a they got they got a built-in laser rangefinder. So usually you have your binoculars and I'll carry a rangefinder, but he's got a, the, the rangefinder's in there. So you hit the button at range find stuff. We were messing around and we were zapping uh, we, we were able to range find deer at over a thousand yards. We were messing around with these. So you get these for seeing through the bullshit and playing the game. Now, the game is this. We're gonna tell you two. We're going to tell you a thing that's true, but you're going to have to pick it out from two things that are not true. Where's the person? I think he's repelling. <laughs> oh, you coming down? Come on, come on right. up. <laughs> oh, um, we should have a seat for him. How's he get up? Can you hop up? Hop on up. Are you, are you fired up or do you wish you weren't uh, doing it? You're fired up. What's your name? Rick. Rick. Nice Rick. to meet you. Right. Hey, can okay. we have a Can you pass me that chair? Thank you. Where should we put Rick? Right there. Anywhere. Let me put you in the middle, Rick. So, Rick, you're going to hear a thing that's true and two things that are not true. And your job is to suss out the true one. You want to go first? You want to give him the true one first? Yeah, let's hit him with the true one. <laughs> 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 like like uh, that Princess Bride thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I guess one of the, I was reading about this and it was published last year in the, the Journal of Wildlife Management. I guess one of the, one of the age-old questions in whitetail management is how uh, they avoid inbreeding. 
And um, it seems like particularly prescient, like with habitat fragmentation and that deer are getting confined to smaller areas and the populations, you got these metapopulations that aren't linked. So um, people have always wondered how they, they don't suffer inbreeding depression. So uh, these, this group of uh, so, uh, social scientists and, and behavioral ecologists uh, from Michigan State took some detailed observations, <laughs> took some detailed observations on uh, white-tailed does, and it turns out that um, not only do they uh, segregate from their first siblings and their and their first and their male first siblings and first and second cousins, like they become spatially segregated from them during the rut, but they become highly aggressive towards uh, them when when they do encounter them. So I got because I guess the, the 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 male relatives are are are, are keen to, to mate like unlike humans they don't mind kissing so you're their saying sister siblings but also first and second cousins yeah like um, did a doe can detect yeah yep there, there's a case study part of the paper where they they talk about a few incidences where they've caught um the doe is actually trying to nip off the testicles of <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's Doug, right? <laughs> Doug? Rick. Rick. The hell did I get Doug? <laughs> <clears throat> I'm going to take you back to 1827. Okay? There are a couple of promoters around Niagara Falls. And they get this idea that how, how they can raise up some money. And they buy an old schooner, like a barge schooner. And they figure, you know what people would really pay a lot of money to see is if we filled it full of zoo animals and ran it over Niagara Falls to its destruction. And so they get some bears, they get geese, they get a buffalo, they put dogs and cats on it. And it doesn't really work because the bears jump out and swim to shore. Everything else goes over the falls it's rumored that the first creature besides a fish to ever survive the fall over Niagara Falls was, was a goose. And it's estimating the, pop, estimating the number of people that came to see this happen is as difficult as Trump's inauguration. But <laughs> it's estimated between five and 30,000 people came to watch this menagerie, that came to watch this menagerie of animals go over Niagara Falls to their death. Best estimates put it at 10,000 people gathered to watch this happen. <laughs> but you haven't heard the last one. <laughs> Yanni? I'm going to read mine right out of the newspaper article that I read. <laughs> I read on the Inquirer. <laughs> uh, last summer, Rick, a new Indiana state record largemouth bass was caught, eclipsing the previous record, which was a 14-pound, 6-ounce bass that was caught by Jennifer Schultz, which had stood for 20 years. On a neighborhood pond in Bloomington, Indiana, an 81-year-old grandma, Carol Lundberg, took her 7-year-old grandson, Jackson, fishing. 
She forgot the bait. Carol picks up a cigarette butt and puts it on the hook. I guess she thought it looked like a worm. She casts it out, passes the rod to her grandson, and he immediately drags up a toad. The fish is certified at 16 pounds, 8 ounces, and it becomes the new Indiana State record largemouth. Just last summer. What's that? Bull? Bull. That one's bullshit? And you think Steve's is the true story? Like, absolute certain. You got it. You're the first guy to ever win. (laughs) (laughs) Give that man a title. Have you heard Steve's story before? You never heard it before. You never heard that story before? No. What was it that gave it away? It just seemed like something. Good job, man. Good work, man. Thank you for coming up. Everybody else? Hold on. What? 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 what, what, what? We forgot something? Yeah, you're forgetting something very important. There's a giant merch table out back there. Oh, you're you're not doing that? My system, man. (laughs) Thank you very much. With that, love all you guys. Thank you very much. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in our capital, Helena, Montana. Each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit. Their rods capture the look, feel, and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod. Scott personally calls every customer who buys one of his rods. Head to montanacastingco.com and use code MEATEATER20 at checkout for a one-time 20% off discount.